today on Abounding Grace. Don't you ever forget the past. Don't forget where you came from. We have the Ebenezer stones, don't we? Of God's faithfulness time and time and time again. So while we are not to forget the past, we're also not to live in the past. We're also not to be stuck, but rather, Lord, do a fresh work and forgive us for our complacency and the comfort and ease by which we've learned to coast through life and perhaps answer some of the difficulties in our life with decisions that have made it harder, not easier. This is amazing grace. While many are living their lives as though they have their eyes in the back of their head, God wants us looking forward and pressing toward the goal. Yes, we can and should learn from the past, but live for the future. With the realization our best days are ahead of us. That's the encouragement coming your way today on Abounding Grace. It's part of Pastor Ed Taylor's series, Loving the Past, Living the Future. Here he is in Philippians 3. Jesus said to be careful you don't get weighed down by the cares and concerns of life, just life. Just the difficulties of life will cause you not to want to run the race. And then all of a sudden, instead of being excited for the things of God, excited for what Jesus is doing, excited about the power of the gospel, hopeful, encouraged, waiting on God, crying out to God, our prayers become, well, God, what have you done for me lately? Oh, we don't use those words. Because if we did, it would just like really strike us. What? What am I doing? Why am I... Why am I so demanding on God? Why haven't you done this, God? Why aren't you doing this, God? And then that turns, and you take your eyes off of heaven and they come down, and then you come into a church family like this, and you go, well, you're not, what are you doing for me lately? What are you doing for me lately? What are you doing for me lately? And an attitude like that just is never satisfied and never hungry for the lost. And there's a lost and dying world that God has put us on the planet as a bridge Paul speaks here in Philippians of the call, the call, the call. It's a beautiful thing. Think about it. Most of you have phones on you. If your phone was to ring right now and you received a call, well, let me set it up for you. Wait, let me set it up so I get the right answer. Someone that you actually want to talk to has dialed your number and your phone is ringing and you get a call. When you get a call, what do you do? You answer it. That's the picture in the Bible. The call comes, God is ringing your life, and your answer, your, your response is to answer the call. This is the call of God on my life. I can say with 100% certainty that I was born to do what I'm doing right now, that I have been called to pastor and shepherd this congregation today, right now. The good news is, is not everybody was called to be a pastor. Not, that's not everybody's call. Most people aren't actually called to do that at all. But did you know there's a call in your life that the pastor, the role of the pastor, is not the most important calling in the church? 
The most important calling in the church is where you fit in the body and the calling of God upon your life. That's the most important call, and you fulfill it. Some of you are called to be at-home moms. That's the call of God. Some of you are called to be in the customer service. Some of you are called, by the way, you guys that are in customer service, you understand this consumer mentality because part of your training, I'm sure they trained you with this phrase, the customer is always right. That's not true. That's not true. That's a cultural norm. You're a customer. You know as well as I do, you're not always right. Go ahead and agree. You can amen it. I know you don't like to amen yourself, but you should. Of course, I'm not always right. I make mistakes. I buy something in return. I go, what's wrong with it? Nothing. I just changed my mind. What do they, they call that um, buyer's remorse? That's not the company's fault. That's my fault. But the customer is always right. And the companies that give you that the most, you like to frequent that store the most. And it's just ingrained in us. But if you're called to the customer service realm, that's God's call upon your life. If you're called as a banker, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a car salesman, if you drive a UPS truck, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's not about your vocation. Because wherever God has you is his call upon your life to bring the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ into the people that you're connected with. That's why you're on the earth. And so when you're running this race, you're running the race to fulfill the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And every single believer has it. But we pull up the chair, break open the Twinkies, and sit there. They have a phrase for that in churches today. They call them pew warmers. I am so grateful today to declare to you that Calvary Aurora doesn't have one pew warmer. Not one. Never experienced a pew warmer in the life of our church. Because we don't have pews. (laughs) Pews, if you don't know, are long benches that churches used to use. But I have to wonder how many of us become comfortable and complacent in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to strongly suggest to you again a book that I've been reading. I'm on my third time through it. It's called Jesus Revolution by Pastor Greg Laurie. It's really helped me over the last few months to bridge the gap of the past and the future. Because, you know, when we think of our fellowship family, Calvary Chapel, I wasn't there, you weren't there, many of you, some of you were, but most of us didn't experience this great revival that's known as the Jesus Movement. Calvary Chapel wasn't the only church involved either. There was a lot of streams of God's revival on our country back in the late 60s. It was a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit where literally thousands upon thousands of people were saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a miraculous, amazing work of God. But we weren't there. So I'm always eager to read from people and listen to people. And even, you know, my friend Tom Stipe up in in Arvada, I get to talk to him. Tell me what it was like. I want to hear the stories. You were there, man. You were an eyewitness. I want to to see it again, but I'd love to hear how the the history of our church family. And so I I started reading this book, and, and he does a great job of bridging the gap of valuing all that God has done with in the past but acknowledging that we're not in the past anymore. We're not ministering in the 60s right now. We're not ministering in the 1900s. We're not ministering in the 1800s. 
A lot of time, you know, people get nostalgic and they think, oh, I wish I would have grown up in the 1800s. It would have been such a bad... No, it wouldn't. Little House on the Prairie, bro, was hard. That was a hard life. People died at a very young age. Disease was rampant. You had to go out and cut your own tree, man. No, 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 no. When I turn on the fireplace, I just walk over and flip a switch. That's the way to go. <laughs> then I had kids, and I send them to go flip the switch. It was even better. <laughs> Listen to what Greg Glory writes. Listen to what Greg Glory writes. I want you to soak it in and... And again, this book would be great, greatly beneficial to you if you have the time to read it. Listen to what he says. Uh, I shared this uh, on a Wednesday night, but I want to share a portion of it with us today. He says, the central question is this, and I quote, young or old, are we going through the motions, comfortable and complacent, consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen. He doesn't even use the word Christianity. He uses the word churchianity. Just a church. That's the only essence. Let me repeat it to you. Young or old, are we going through the motions, comfortable and complacent, consuming some brand of cultural churchianity that has little to do with the electrifying gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we really desperate to know God and to embrace the fresh, mysterious, powerful wind of His Holy Spirit? Revival, after all, is not about human plans, programs, campaigns, or particular denominational movements. It comes from the real revolution that only God can bring. Is that what we've become? Have we just become consumers of some cultural brand of churchianity? Or are we really pressing in for the electrifying power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that the gospel changes lives, including our own, as we speak the word of God to us, that we would believe God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? Will we truly receive what God is doing in our lives or are we going to remain stuck and immovable and resistant to what the Lord wants to do? through you. We speak in the context of our fellowship family, and that's great. But the reality is, is that you're the church. You are the church. We don't just gather, like, like we're not the church just because we're in this building. Although I have to say, I'm in this building throughout the week when this room is empty. And when it's empty, it's cold and dark and lifeless. There's nothing going on in here. It's quiet. Sometimes they might see here the architect. There's nothing happening in this room. But I, I'm always excited. I saw it yesterday. I kind of watched it yesterday. During our school ministry, I came over. I peeked into the door because they were doing some things in there. I peeked in through the door, and it was empty. And that was about, you know, 3 o'clock-ish or so. And, and by the time 6 o'clock came, this room came alive. Why? Because this empty room and building became the church because the church showed up. It's not just the location, like, like God isn't calling us just to come to church. God is asking us or even commanding us to be the church. And I'm always careful when I hear people complaining about the church, complaining about this church, if the Lord leads me, I don't always answer this way, but if the Lord leads me, I look you in the eye and say, you're the church, you're complaining about yourself. 
this is your church. How can we partner together so that we can take care of things to reach the lost, to love the poor, to meet the needs of the widow and the orphan, to bring in a very real way the truth of the gospel in every place that God takes the church moment by moment. And I've been asking God recently to forgive us for becoming comfortable and complacent. For God to forgive us for being immobilized. I know there are different reasons for that. Certainly in my life, watching some coasting along or, or slowing down a little bit in my own life has happened over the last few years. Grief and sorrow and, you know, drama. You know, it saps the energy out of a person. And I know some of you have experienced that. God is not condemning you today. He's not pointing a finger of accusation towards you. He understands the heaviness of life. Jesus Christ came into a body just like you and me. Like he lived this life. He lived this life. He knows. But he also knows the very strength that he provides for you to press on, to move forward, to keep the main thing the main thing. Isn't that the key? Keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, what is the main thing? The main thing is pursuing God. The main thing is going after God and all that he has for you. Discovering in fresh new ways. I mean, in a real way, I just sense more than any time before, like we're planning a brand new church. Yeah, we have all sorts of people, but we're doing something new and yet we're doing something new built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the godly men that have come before us that it is possible to do something new without neglecting the past. We remember the past. We value the past. As a matter of fact, I teach often, don't you ever forget the past. Don't forget where you came from. We have the Ebenezer stones, don't we, of God's faithfulness time and time and time again. So while we're not to forget the past, we're also not to live in the past. We're also not to be stuck, but rather, Lord, do a fresh work and forgive us for our complacency and the comfort and ease by which we've learned to coast through life and perhaps answer some of the difficulties in our life with decisions that have made it harder, not easier. You see, God is faithful. And he's calling us today as a church to keep the main thing the main thing, pursuing God, following Jesus Christ, glorifying God, edifying, building up the saints, evangelizing the world. The main thing is honoring Jesus Christ with your entire life. The Bible says to lay your life down as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable. It is not too much for God to ask us, to command us to lay our lives down. After all, you and I are the ones that said, I want to follow. You heard Jesus say, follow me. And what was your response? I will follow you. You are everything. You're my creator. All that I have, all my talents, all my, all my expertise, all my money, all my mind, everything about me, God, is yours. I will follow you. And to which Jesus said, you want to follow me? And to which we said, yes, I want to follow you. To which Jesus said, if you want to follow me, Deny yourself. Take up the cross and then follow me. 
And the greatest, you know, Jesus put it just like Paul did when he told us as spiritual leaders, you know, on the list of character traits in 1 Timothy 3, he put right at the top, you want to be a leader in God's church? You want to be an elder? You need to be above reproach. To which we say, oh man, we've all failed. Jesus says, deny yourself. And we're like, oh man, that's a hard one which I believe the Holy Spirit would minister to your spirit and say, yes, it's hard. But as you abide in me, I abide in you. And you can walk a life of self-denial moment by moment and experience the electrifying power of the gospel and the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your family's life, in your workplace, in your church family, and everywhere God has us as we run the race. Why? Because we don't know when our race will end. And as you consider this new year in this fresh, clean slate of a year, it could just be that as Paul is saying, I'm pressing on, I'm laying hold, I'm forgetting those things that are behind, and I'm reaching forward to what's up ahead. It may just be a necessity in your life to ask God to forgive you too. You know, I follow the lead of Daniel and Nehemiah and many of the guys in the Bible that have gone before us that when they prayed, they prayed for us. I include myself. I'm certainly not a perfect man. I don't have it all together. I'm not speaking to you as a man that's got it all figured out, but I am speaking to you a man that wants to discover the will of God for my life. I want to take it. And as I say, let's press forward, I invite you all to join me. I invite you all to join me because as the Bible goes forward, as the teaching of the word goes forward, some things you can expect is this church to grow. You're going to see this church grow. Now, we've seen tremendous growth over the years, but it's going to continue to grow. Why? Because when people get saved, they become a part of the church family. But I would also expect other churches to grow and other churches to benefit as the church goes out and ministers the gospel. I hope you're not one of those guys that say, well, Ed, you know, at this size of the church, I hope it doesn't grow one more person. Well, what if that one person is your mom? Okay, one more person is okay. You know, over the years, we've had people, I don't think the church isn't what it used to be. It's growing so fast. To which you should say, praise God. People are getting saved. Of course the church isn't the same as it was. We're not 30 people meeting in a basement of a Baptist church anymore. Because God saw those 30 people and says, I'm going to do something in Aurora with you guys. And you know, some of them are still with us to this day. And now some of them are spread out at other churches. Spread out around the country doing great things for the Lord. I wonder what he sees now with thousands of people gathered together. I wonder what he says. I'll tell you what he says. God says, I'm going to do some crazy things through those people. I don't know if he uses the word crazy or not, but he's going to do do great things through us. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask. I know it's beyond some of your thought patterns right now, but that's God. Dream big things that you can't do on your own. Think big things for the gospel that you can't do on your own. Think how your life, you know, we can't do everything, right? But we can do something. And we need to resolve to do what God has called us to do. And then little by little, one by one, two by two, four by four, eight by, before you know it, there is open vessels for the work of revival in our lives. Because we need a revival. We need to be brought back. We need to be enlivened. The culture needs renewal. We as Christians need revival. 
And that's the work that God wants to do. So church, keep moving forward. The best days are ahead of us. If you believe that, turn to your neighbor and say, the best days are ahead of us. Go ahead, say it out loud. Best days are ahead of us. Praise God. Praise God. Now, all of you that thought that was kind of weird and didn't do it, we'll wait for you. (laughs) The best days are ahead. Better days are ahead for us. The best is yet to come. That even if it is waiting for waking up in the presence of Jesus Christ, that will be the best day of your life. The best day to see him fulfilled in everything you believed, everything you've held on to, how you've raised your kids, what you've done for the Lord. You will be there at the Bema seat and just say, praise God I served him. And I receive, I receive God that affirmation that my life was worth it. There's so much for us to learn. So many lives that need to be changed. That's why Jesus said we need to take up our cross daily and follow him. The Bible reminds us that his mercies are new every morning. That we're to be in the word. Remember Psalm 1 says that we're to continue in God's word day and night. That God did some great things in our life. God told Joshua, you meditate on the Bible day and night. Let's move forward, church. The things that were good then, praise God. We we love the past. And I will be forever grateful. I will be forever grateful for my pastor and this fellowship family we're a part of. But I'll tell you what, I'm living for the future. I want to grab hold of what God has for my life. I don't know when it's going to end, but I know in a very real way that it can end suddenly, tragically, painfully. And we need to be living for Jesus all the way out, all the way through the finish line. Put the Twinkies away. Get rid of the soda. Kick the chair out. Put your, tie your shoes and get back in the race, man. Get back in the race. You're not trying to beat anyone else. Just run your race. Finish well. Hopefully we'll hear those words, and I believe we will. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Our best days are truly ahead of us as a church and as individual believers. Man, I can't tell you. I don't know what God's going to do, but I want to find out. And I want to be a part of it. I don't want to watch on the sidelines. I want to be found running my race with joy. We thank you for being with us today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor's message, Our Best Days Are Ahead of Us, can be heard again online at calvaryaurora.org. It's one part of three in a series we've titled, Loving the Past, living the future. Well, Pastor Ed, here we are on Valentine's Day, and we picked out a book this month that we believe can really help strengthen marriages. What can you tell us about it? Well, the book Married and How to Stay That Way is such a powerful tool for marriages of all kinds, whether you're newly married or preparing. Let's go back. You're preparing to be married. You're newly married. You've been married for years or In some cases, unfortunately, you are in great crisis in your marriage. Pastor Steve Carr has dedicated his entire life and ministry in pastoring the Calvary Chapel under his care to ministering to marriages. And this book not only is filled with wisdom, but most importantly, filled with godly wisdom from God's Word. Not just telling you that you should have and you could have, but really giving you the tools to step into working out the things that are in your life and living by faith in Jesus Christ. 
the, right in the very beginning, the first couple chapters, there is a list of questions there that not only help identify the issues, but as you're identifying key issues in building intimacy in your marriage and oneness and closeness, as you identify the issues, you're also able to identify the solutions. So please get this book, please. Married and How to Stay That Way, it should be on everyone's shelf that's married or even thinking about you singles, praying and preparing for marriage. Get it, read it, and grow in God's grace. That's Married and How to Stay That Way by Steve Carr. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. And please remember, we are listener-supported. Each gift that comes in will be used to help pay for being on the station and many others like it. We can't thank you enough for standing with us. God is doing a great work. And we've been reminded of that recently with the large volume of responses we're getting from listeners that have been helped. And you can be a part of this exciting work by again calling 877-30-GRACE. There's one more message still to come in our series, Loving the Past, Living the Future. We'll share that with you tomorrow and Monday on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.